Hey, welcome to the Color Theory Podcast, a podcast all about design and diversity. I'm Becca Markham. And I'm Maxwell Van Hook. And together we're going to be hosting a series of podcasts that go from everything from journey stories from Black designers all the way to things to do if you're already in the industry. All right, so today we'll be talking about key tips and tricks on breaking into the industry. And we're coming at it from two very different areas, myself being self-taught and Maxwell going to design school, if I can say that correctly. Yeah, no, no, uh, definitely going to design school and uh, sort of growing up, I guess, in a traditional sense, like learning design in a traditional sense. So yeah, very two different experiences here into I guess in the from the perspective that we sort of access the industry in, in two different ways. Yeah, totally. So going back a little bit, for me, I didn't get into design until well into schooling. So I think I was a f- senior in undergrad when I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to be a starving filmmaker. I need to learn how to make a poster. And mm-hmm. that's how I got into it. So there was so much knowledge that I had no idea about. I'd taken one design 101 class where we're just like cutting things up and like trying to like make like little designs. And I think I did an infographic that was horrid. But that actually ended up so when I got into the industry, I was trying to get jobs, trying to get freelancing. I literally had no idea what a portfolio looked like. I had no idea what a portfolio for like a junior designer going into. I, I just, I had no idea what that should be. And so for me, it was it was a matter of creating that portfolio and learning and doing all of that in order to get my first job. But for you, like when you were trying to get your first job out of school, what were, say, the top Five things that really helped you land that first position. Top five things? I mean, it can also be a top one and we like work up to five. I want to say one of the biggest things and a mantra that I'll always live by is that it's all about relationship or or ain't about nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, So your network is going to actively determine what sort of opportunities you get access to. So one of the places within my my school, and I went to the University of Arts, I was always connected to the career affairs sort of part of, of my institution. And so through that, I was able to get access to internships. So one of my first internships, I believe, was with the Philadelphia Energy Company. But what that did in turn was give me more of a mindset around, one, how you build relationships, and then also real-world applications of the things that I was learning in school. So what I ended up doing was not only reaching out and establishing, like, mentorship. So I think one of the things that we, we talked about initially was a mentor that I had that was already in the graphic design field. Mm-hmm. My number one would be find someone who is actively in the space that you want to be in. Connect with them. And, and it may be hard because people don't have a lot of time from day to day. So to get somebody to sit down with you or, or talk to you can be relatively hard. And even getting to a space where you can ask for someone's time can be a little bit difficult. but Okay, so let's actually pause on that for a second. So getting a mentor, finding one, getting time with them, that's like a big thing. That's a a very big ask. So like, let's try and break that down. So first of all, finding someone. Let's kind of, because that was also on my list. So, you know, I can kind of explain like how I would, and then I would love to hear also like how you found your first mentor. So for me, honestly, my mentors came in 
so many different areas. Yeah. It was, I would find, I, you know, I would go to websites like Pinterest. I would go to websites mm-hmm. uh, like Skillshare and everything else. And I would find people doing the work. And so a lot of like my first kind of like unofficial mentors were really the people teaching the classes. <laughs> and or they're designers that I saw that I was like, you know what? That's a style I want to imitate. And so I would start trying to learn programs and and take these almost online classes in order to to learn that. And then later on in my career, when I had more access to things like, you know, LinkedIn, I ended up just reaching out to people and being like, hey, I really want to learn. You seem like you're LinkedIn amazing. Yeah, I feel yeah. like that you're amazing in your field. And I found that asking for like a 30-minute coffee and not asking for like a six-month mentorship was some of the best starting points. And then also using people who weren't technically in the field of my mentor, but almost like adjacent. So I, in undergrad, I went to the dean of the School of Communications because I knew, he knew someone in the industry I wanted to get into. And I went up to him, I was like, hey, you know what? Your friend, I want to work with him. How do I do that? And can you send my resume over? And developing that relationship with almost people that were career adjacent also gets you a step closer. But how did that's you find... A, that's, I mean, that's a good point. I think the other thing that you just highlighted is being very direct and intentional about what you're asking of mm-hmm. the person or asking of your mentor. Like, having a frame of reference for like, hey, like, this is what I actually want to do and, and not being afraid to ask. In terms of my initial mentors, I was just lucky enough to to be in church Mm-hmm. and um, come across someone who was doing design and heard that I was doing design. And so they just took a liking to me and, and wanted to see me grow and develop. But as I moved forward, and especially as I started to leave college, where I had a bunch of uh, peers who I could bond with and I didn't necessarily have to seek out people, what I started to go and do is show up at either events, like so AIGA, is a really big organization that you can connect to that has different programs and different functions where you can find community amongst designers and you can learn a lot from the people in those spaces. And then typically what will happen is those designers and and those people who work professionally, they're in your locale. So mm-hmm. then you start to to widen your network, but then also you can learn the industry trends that are prevalent within your city or, or your state. So that was one of the ways I, I spent a lot of days just showing up at happy hours with designers, not even talking about what I was working on, but talking about what was happening, I don't know, on the news or in sports or happening in our city. And so because I was able to establish those bonds it didn't come out of the blue when I would contact them to ask them about how to, you know, navigate my workspace or, you know, ask them a question about, hey, what tools are you using or where do you draw inspiration from? Because I had already made that that initial contact and it was more of a, a friendly handshake rather than business oriented. Totally. I think that's I think that highlights something very important where some of the best mentorships, yes, you could see someone's style and it could be fantastic and you might want to emulate that. But when you have some common ground, Mm -hmm. when you have design plus something else, it 
makes everything, it gives you a better foundation to speak to each other, to relate to each other, to work on things. And so I think that was a very like key thing where it's like you would, you had church or for instance, I am super outdoorsy. <laughs> yeah. Guess what? Um, and for me, I've met so many people also in that outdoor space that have been fantastic mentors for me and not just in design, but in say sales yeah. and engineering. It's like, there's so much to learn. And the more you know about those teams, the better you can be in your role because you're kind of emulating it. So backing up Mm -hmm. a little bit. So we talked about getting a mentor, but let's talk about those people who may not be in design. And this might be kind of my Ah, expert thing going in, but, you know, I started out with pretty much no design experience. I had been in yearbook in high school, so I knew a little bit, but there was a lot of things I still needed to learn. And I'm sure mm-hmm. as a designer, there's still, there's always things that we need to learn to and grow. Things are, are constantly shifting. You're you're always going to need to, to shift with them. So, I, I mean, I believe in constantly learning. And if you don't, then yeah. you'll get left behind. Definitely. I think one thing that is not only true for design, but also true throughout is there's this principle of just do it. You know, quoting Nikki. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah. I think that was huge. I think as you're becoming a designer, there's so many different, you know, mediums. There's so many different genres of and sections of what we do from art direction to motion to this to that to UX. And it can be so overwhelming or else mm. I was so overwhelmed as I left undergraduate. And just doing something help me move forward. So my whole theory in that was that if I spent 10 minutes, 30 minutes learning keyboard shortcuts in Illustrator. Super important. And that's literally all I was doing. I I quite literally had keyboard shortcut. Pretty much it was like boards just hung up everywhere so I could actually see what those were. And that helped me figure out how that tool worked. But I realized if I spent five minutes, 10 minutes doing a little bit every night, then that actually got me somewhere. And I felt like when I was actually doing a little bit, it felt like I was actually chipping away. And it was like really hopeful because I was like, hey, in six months, I'm going to know so much more about this program than I did before. And it was just like yeah. small bite-sized pieces. Uh, yeah. Basically what you're you're speaking to or what you're sort of illuminating is the psychology around like learning and building that confidence and Especially in this generation, we tend to compare ourselves a lot, right? You have social media and you can follow a bunch of designers or a bunch of creative and you can look at their work and you can basically, it can be very easy to to look at your your own and sort of come to the conclusion like, oh, I'll never reach this. Oh, I do that every time yeah. I open Instagram. <laughs> not, not realizing that there were baby steps that each of those designers took to get to where they're at. It is like learning to walk. It is like learning to ride a bike. It's muscle memory. So you have to practice. One of the good things that Joel often speaks about, and, and Joel is one of our friends. He's a friend of the show. He was like my coworker, then he was his coworker. It was yeah. a great comparison. <laughs> so it, it's not necessarily about spending 15 hours straight on learning a skill or, or trying to tackle a problem. You sit down, do it for two to three hours. Right. Walk away from it. Take a break. Sit back down again later. And what you'll start to see over time is that you'll arrive at these processes a lot faster than you normally would. And exactly. then, yeah, from there you move on to the, the next thing. One of the things that 
I always struggled with was the stylist, learning how to use a Wacom mm-hmm. tablet. Mm-hmm. It was really difficult. My my One of my old bosses, he came to me and um, he's like, if you're, you don't use a Wacom tablet, like I, I don't think that you're a serious designer. So it took me a while. I want to say it took me about like six months to, to sort of like build up that muscle memory where it's like actively, I'm not even looking at what my hand is doing. I'm just looking at the computer screen. Um, so don't don't get overwhelmed by by learning. Mm-hmm. Don't get overwhelmed by the overall task. Like sit down and just break it. Break it down into little small small bites that you can sort of like yeah, take address. Off. Yeah. Yeah, and and one thing is that I have a very my attention span, sometimes it can be super intense. And my husband says that I can just like let the whole world go and just like sit down and focus for like 10 hours straight. But when I'm learning something and having to go between the class and the computer, it was a lot. And so for me, I think the best way that I learned was project-based. Yeah. And so I would see a style and be like, you know what, that's super cool. Or, hey, that's super different from what I usually do. So I'm going to figure out what program they used and then try to emulate that style myself. And so I actually built up my entire portfolio that that it started with. I think there's actually a few things still in there for like illustration. That's cool. Where I was like, hey, minimalist movie posters. Those were like super cool and like the thing for a bit. And I was like, you know what? I want to do my version of this. And so I did one for How I Met Your Mother, I think, <laughs> New Girl. I did the the, the douchebag jar and also the help. And so okay. I made the pie from the help and like two hands on either side holding it. It was awesome. It's still one of those things where there's very few things I look back on when I was a junior designer. I'm like, oh, that's still cool. I'll use that in my portfolio. That's actually one of them. And just doing the projects, I think those were very fast, which was one thing. They were pretty simple, but I think even more than getting practice in creating different styles, I was learning how to use the programs in different ways. Yes. And I think that was something that was so core to becoming a designer. It's just learning how to switch up modes. Like some people use Photoshop just for photos. Then I had to learn Photoshop to do very complex creatives and, you know, complex other stuff, (laughs) other designs. And so, you know, everyone uses things differently. So I just wanted to learn, you know, what tools was I using that, you know, one person would use that would benefit my workflow. One of the key things I I think is important to, to pay attention to and just trying to figure out how to break into the industry. There's another aspect of this that is just trying to figure out what your style is. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I feel like you're speaking to that is important to getting into the industry is not just figuring out like, hey, like how do I get access to this industry or this company? But I think it's on a deeper level, what is my actual style? And there's a process that is associated with that. Like you have to go through and, and sort of collect and, and use a bunch of different programs, but then also look at the artists and creatives that are existing in the space and and sort of maybe at times try to imitate them and go through those iterations because then through that you can start to develop your own individual style and, and start to see what you like and what you don't like, and that's key. And then also not getting down on yourself when something doesn't turn out the way that you, you want it to turn out. Because as an artist, as a creative... That is going to happen a lot until you develop that style. Yeah, and I think, you know, for me, I have to, since I work in essentially 
advertising branding, I have to switch up my style to meet whatever my client needs mm-hmm. constantly. And so it served me really well because it's also interesting because I think that comes back to design school versus having to kind of like be self-taught. I don't feel like I ever necessarily built my own style. Mm-hmm. I feel like I always had to be so multidisciplinary because I have the film background. So motion, like design was there, but also motion graphics was a really easy pull for me. And so it's constantly doing different things things. So my portfolio is a mosh posh of so much different stuff. And and I think there's two different ways that you get also get into the industry. You get in as far as like, this is my style. This is my branding. So hire me for this. Yes. And I think that's especially for, I have a friend who's a designer. He has a very distinctive, he's like four distinctive illustration styles. And so people who want that and the styles are very, very hugely popular right now. And so people who want that are like, you know what? I'm going to him for this illustration style. And I think that was like his key thing. And then on the other side, you have those people who want those, quote, unicorns. They want the people who can be very multidisciplinary, can put on many, many different hats, can be an art director, the UX designer, the motion video, like all of that. And so that's kind of like with my current role, I I work within the video space, the motion space, the design space, and have to wear so many different hats. And so it's almost also two different ways to bring yourself into that industry. That's one of the things that it takes a a good amount of courage Mm -hmm. to sort of like tackle all of those different spaces. But like as you experiment, you start to build confidence around trying to tackle design problems that may arise. And, And you can come to those solutions a lot faster if you're just willing to have the curiosity to just, like, play in those different spaces. Uh, one of the things that I'm getting ready to to sort of do on my own time is look at 3D. Oh, right? Cause yeah. Because that's not something that I'm truly familiar with. So I'm starting to look at other 3D artists that are out there. I'm starting to talk to my friends who are in the 3D space because I've, I've built up a community over time. So I have that network of people who kind of can kind of point me in the right direction in, in terms of, trying to learn, but not being afraid to to enter into that space. And I think that brings up a really good thing about being very open to critique because there's this whole mm. like fear thing. And I know with design, it's so tied to art and art. Like, again, when my brother, I mentioned that my brother went into design. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he was first getting into it, he actually started with a very, very artistic background. So he was, he always does these like crazy, like photo comp, like compositions. And okay. I'm like, oh, this is crazy. And for him, he he called me up one day and he, he was like, hey, actually, no, he texted because he's younger and all that that younger people do is text. I'm also <laughs> an old person in Wait. a 27 year old body. I'm like, just call me. Anyways, he texted me and said, hey, sis, I want your help in my artistic pursuits. And then I quickly wrote him back. I was like, I have no idea about artistic pursuits. That's definitely a lot. I know design. And the first rule of thumb that you have to realize coming into this, especially with your artistic background, is that art and design are two separate entities. One is about self-expression and design is for a lot of times business need. Yeah. It's a function. Design is definitely a function. Yes. And so I think those were two parts of it. And and with art, it's sense self-expression. There's a lot of things where it's like if people don't like it, and your intention was for them to like it, there can be a lot of like hurt feelings with that. But for design, I think there's definitely an element where you have to be very 
almost, I guess, subjective and almost like pulled away from it. So it's like your designs, you can work very hard on them, but at the same time, you're constantly soliciting feedback and they're not the baby. Like for like you can never insult someone's baby. You know, you just yeah. say like I say like, oh, the baby has like if it's really like not that good looking of a baby. If yeah. it looks like a little alien, it's like, oh, the clothes are so cute. Like you still find something. Oh, look at those cheeks. You find something to yeah, yeah. to to point out that's a good thing. But for like that's art though. For design It's meant to be picked apart. And so I think a really huge thing for people coming into this industry is learning how to take that Mm. feedback. Because for me, if I design something and I'm like, oh, this is a flower. But then I show it to you and you're like, "Uh, I see a dump truck. That's That's a huge, huge issue. And so I have to be able to take that my design solicited the complete opposite of my intended effect and then change accordingly. It brings up an interesting question and thought for me. Like, when was your first experience with that where you started to establish, like, oh, these things are are different from each other? I mean, for me, it wasn't that difficult because for okay. my background, my background wasn't— I didn't sketch. I didn't draw. Mm-hmm. I wasn't—my mother would really never have, like, put my— paintings on our refrigerator more than any other kid. Like it, okay. I was not a inspired designer child. So in that, I came to design constantly soliciting feedback. If I got feedback because I never had a design community, I was so hungry for it. I was like, please just give me mm. some type of feedback. So like, you were seeking that out. I was constantly seeking that out. And so, so for me, that, that transition wasn't too difficult because for me design was always I was I was always hungry to learn and I was always especially if someone had that insight into the industry I was like tell me anything and we'll workshop this through and that served me really well because as in different positions everywhere that's a huge thing that people are looking for in designers can you take constructive feedback yeah for for me the first time that that world was really brought to my attention or the differences between the two worlds was when I came into college. Mm -hmm. And my background was way more expressive. It was way more artistic. It was way more like, hey, I made this thing and it's beautiful and I want you to love it too. And then I walk into my multimedia class and now terms like accessibility are being thrown out. (laughs) And um, those are all things that you have to be way more mindful of because design is very, very technical, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And so you're providing a service and you need to know how that service functions and you need to test that service. And then after you test that service, you get numbers associated with that service and, and you iterate based on that. And you have to be comfortable with your design being, you know, ever changing, especially when you live in the the digital space. And so that was extremely sort of like shocking for me. And then as I moved forward and left college, it became even more important to sort of like test my designs. Exactly. And then looking at the metrics surrounding those designs and being able to figure out solutions for potential problems that that could come up. Yeah, and I think testing designs is something for the novice designer. It doesn't have to be some like major like, oh, I'm going to do this like 100-person study. No, testing designs, I tested designs on my, I still test designs on my mom. Uh, There was a video game I did one time and I was like, hey mom, can 
me play this. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, oh my gosh, it's the only video game I can play. And that was perfect because I wanted it to, be, it to be open to more people. And I have tested designs on my friends, on, my, on everyone around me. I'm like, can you look at this? And the... Soliciting that feedback also goes back to the mentorship thing where if you're asking someone, hey, can I have 30 minutes and can you just give me a quick, in that time, a quick critique on some of the work I've done, that's something where they have a beginning, middle, and an end. And 30 minutes is not a big deal with a lot of people. So they're so much more willing to be like, sit down and know exactly what you're asking from them. And one other thing I did want to hit before we closed out mm-hmm. was that asking I have this thing I call my quarter theory. Quarter theory. <laughs> it's a quarter, not like 0.25, but actually like a quarter as in the monetary value. When I, I think one of the biggest lessons I've been taught in my entire life was when I was probably around like, I think I was in sixth grade in Sunday school for church. And I was taught it by a very scrawny teenager boy who was like helping to teach he had skinny jeans before they were a thing and like bleached blonde hair and he taught me one of the biggest lessons that I've carried through my entire life so outside of our little classroom area there was a little like vending machine like a coin operated one and dude I loved candy I loved candy so much I can and tell so, by the expression on your face <laughs> I, yeah, it was, it was a thing. So I just loved it. And you know what? My parents were not going to like dash out quarters to me all the time. And so it was during the Sunday school class and I looked at him and said, hey, Josh, can I get a quarter? And he looked at me and I made the mistake of asking in front of like the rest of the 20 other sixth graders or fifth graders Mm. around. And everyone was just like, you know, like listening in and anticipation and being like, oh, she gets one. Well, I'll get one. And he looked at me and goes, okay, here's a quarter. And then everyone clamored and we're like, oh, I want one. I want one. Why did she get one? And that was just what what happened a lot. And then he pretty much this probably 15-year-old kid used this as one of the most boss teaching moments. <laughs> Again, bleached blonde hair. Like it was like amazing teaching moment. And when someone kept on asking, why did she get it? Why did she get it? He goes, she asked. Yeah. And he's like, you can't get something unless you ask for it. And so that was one thing that really has kept me through my entire thing is that people cannot know where you stand. People cannot know where you want to go, whether it's in your career, whether you're trying to get for a promotion or salary or learn a new skill. I think by and large, people want to do good by you. People want to like help you. Like I haven't come across too many people even even those who I may not have gotten along with and liked, who wanted to actively sabotage me. Like, no. they, they want to help you out. But a lot of times, especially managers, they just don't know where you want to go unless you ask for it. Do you know how much happens within the course of someone's day? Especially mm-hmm. when you work in corporate spaces. Yes. There's so much. You have meetings that you jump in and out of. You have things that, you know, are ha- happening in your personal life. And so, especially as a manager, I I may not actively be thinking about, hey, like, what does this person need? Like, what does their growth and development look like on a day-to-day basis? So it's important that you advocate for yourself. Exactly. No matter what environment you're in. And to use a a basketball analogy, you will miss 100% of the shots that you do not take. Oh, my goodness. I heard that line. Yeah. (laughs) So, like, like, it boils down to, like, if you don't ask, then you won't get it. And 
So if it comes to mind, if it's a top of mind, just just ask someone. And the worst thing that they can say in any case is no. And you will get over that no. Yes. And I think that's a huge thing, especially in design, is that no is not a word you have to be afraid of. Like for me, I've asked for title changes, for for raises, for a lot of things under the sun, for internships, for grades in school. Like even when I was in school, I was like, you know what? I'm not really feeling this. I had two majors and one of them, I was like, you know what? I don't like the track that my school has for this. Some of the classes, eh, not really into it. You know what? I'm going to make my own. And so I actually got approval to curate classes that I wanted to take. And the whole thing is like, well, the only thing they can say is no. I can put together these classes I want to take to create a major that fits for me and what I actually want to pursue and have a teacher look over it and submit it. It'll take some work, but the least that they can say or the worst thing that they can say is no. And that's not something you should be afraid of. It's Yeah. Being comfortable with no is so imperative to success and also being comfortable with, with failure. They're, mm-hmm. they're sort of synonymous in a way. And that's one of the things that, that I've learned throughout any type of project that I've, I've taken on or, or anything that I want to do in life, not being afraid to just, like, tackle it head on and being okay with whatever the outcome is. I, I live by the theory that there are no losses. There's only wins and lessons. Exactly. And that's a perfect place to wrap up right now. So if I just almost summarize what we talked about today, (laughs) in order, if you're breaking into the industry, if you're trying to gain more knowledge or, you know, have that next step in where you're going, first of all, do not be afraid to ask. Yes. People can ignore your email. They can say no to your email and that is fine, but just go humbly. Don't be a diva and just ask them for 30 minutes of their time to, to look over something and be very specific. Another thing, just do something, ask questions, and ask for help. And I think those three things will serve you so well, not only in the beginning of your career, but as you continue to learn throughout it. And practice. Always practice. Continually practice. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us on the Color Theory Podcast. Stay tuned for more from Becca and Maxwell. See you next time.